I invite you to be seated. And now I'm going to read to you what I thought was going to be our first lesson, and I proofed the bulletin so I can only blame myself that I didn't catch it. Exodus, the 17th chapter. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. People quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? They were in a bad place. They were in a bad place. They had no water. That's pretty serious. Their lives are on the line. They are thirsting and they can die out there in the wilderness without water. I mean, the wilderness experience describes a time of life when we don't have, one, the usual clarity of direction. We're not sure where we're going. And it describes a time of life where all the usual comforts that we rely on are no longer present and where we are stripped of everything that humanity wants to rely upon for life and then are forced to depend upon the goodness and power of God alone, which makes us really uncomfortable. But this isn't the first time the Israelites have been in a bad spot. In fact, ever since they left the land of Egypt, it's been kind of one challenge after another, and they've been thrust out there outside of their comfort zone relying on God alone. So Moses leads his ragtag group of refugees out of Egypt, and the first place they arrive at is what we call the Red Sea, and some people call it the Reed Sea because it's a kind of a shallow sea and has a lot of grasses growing in it. And they camp there by the Reed Sea because that's what God told them to do. But as they're setting up camp, they suddenly see the entire Egyptian army descending on them, coming to kill them. And so they cry out in distress, what, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you had to bring us here to die in the wilderness? What have you done bringing us out of Egypt? It would have been better for us to stay and serve the Egyptians, they were slaves, than to die out here in the wilderness. So Moses gave them a pep talk. He said, stand firm, don't be afraid, trust in the deliverance of God. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to keep still. That's the hardest thing to do, right, when we're panicking, is to keep still and rely on God to fight for us. And so Moses goes to the Lord 
and uh, God tells Moses to hold his staff. This is a, a staff that he had used for some signs when he was in competitions with Pharaoh. Hold the staff out over the waters, and the waters would part, and the people would be able to pass over on dry ground. So they, they do this. Here's the army descending on them with the, you know, chariots and horses and the, all, you know, you know, all the battle regalia. You can imagine this thunderous, terrifying descent of an army. And Moses stands there and holds his staff over the waters, and the waters part. And he and the Israelite refugees pass over through this, through the walls of water, pass over safely. And as soon as they get to the other side, the waters come back and trap Egypt's armies. This is the sign that God is with them. They've had other signs, but this is a pretty obvious one. Then they travel for a couple of weeks, and they reach... Uh, they go from the Red Sea to the desert of Shur, and for three days they're wandering around in the desert of Shur, and they can't find any water. And on the third day, they arrive at this place in the desert of Shur called Mara, which means bitter, and they find water, but the water's not fit to drink. Maybe it's poisonous, it's just disgusting, they can't, it's not potable water. And so the people grumble against Moses again, and they're fired up, what are we going to drink, what are we going to do? And so Moses again takes the problem to God. You see a pattern here. And the Lord shows Moses a piece of wood. And Moses takes the wood and tosses it in to the pool of, of putrid water. And the bitter water becomes sweet. And the people and the livestock are able to drink. Which reminds us that God can and does transform even the most bitter experiences in our lives into opportunities to experience God's goodness and grace. How many times have I talked to people suffering big things? You know, I don't know whether it's, you know, facing a bankruptcy or they're suffering with cancer and other serious troubles. And then in the midst of that suffering, something will happen. There will be signs of God's presence and goodness, and there will be care not only from the people they know, but from total strangers, unexpected kindnesses, and they reflect then with deep joy on the love and care that they have experienced. No matter what the present situation is, the journey with God is always a journey out of death and into life. Always. The very next place they come to on their travels is a place called Elam. And all we know about Elam is that they have 12 gushing springs of water there to drink from and 70 palm trees. So they get to set up their camp in this place of such abundance and fall asleep listening to the babbling brooks and the swishing of the palm fronds, and life is good. Even in the wilderness, God provides places of comfort, but the people will soon forget that's what we people do. So two and a half months now since they first crossed the Reed Sea and left Egypt, God's chosen people come to the desert of sin. And everybody's grumbling again. There's a pattern here. They're hungry. And they say to Moses, if only we had died by God's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. They have selective memories. They weren't living such a good life in Egypt, but we forget. 
They said, you brought us out in this desert to starve the whole assembly to death. So what does Moses do? He takes the problem to God, and God says, okay, tell the people I'm sending food. And what happens is manna, these flakes of bread from heaven, descend on the desert every single morning with the morning dew, and it's really good stuff. It tastes like honey, and they can eat as much of it as they want. And then in the evening, every night, quail descend on the camp, and they can kill and eat as much of the quail as they want. They can stuff themselves with it every day and every night. There's one rule. You can't store any of it or hoard any of it to take with you on the journey or to have for tomorrow. And, of course, they immediately tried to do just that. They tried to save some, and it immediately goes rancid and bad and spoils just overnight like that because... Every day, day by day, they are going to have no choice but to depend on God, to trust God. And God is going to give them more than they could ever use or ever eat. So now we're told this morning, okay, the journey continues. They leave the desert of sin, and the manna and the quail continue wherever they go. It follows them. They leave the desert of sin, and they travel by stages because God only shows them the next little bit of the journey. Isn't that how it is in faith? We don't know. We can't see the whole thing. We just have to trust the next little bit in front of us. And they're following God's lead, and they're learning to trust, but then they come to Rephidim, and they set up camp in Rephidim. And, you know, this is only a couple of, like, three months into the journey, and they've already forgotten the last four big things that God has done for them. So when they get to Rephidim and they set up camp and there's no drinking water, Oh my gosh, they complain to Moses and they say, why didn't you bring us out of Egypt to kill us here and our children and our livestock from thirst? And Moses takes it to God, but this time Moses complains about the people too. Moses has kind of had enough. And then God tells Moses to take the staff, the symbol of God's power, and some of the elders as witnesses, and to go out of the camp and up the road a little piece. And God says, and When you get to the rock at Horeb, I'm going to be standing there on the rock. And take your staff and strike the rock and water will come out of it. So that the people may drink. So Moses does this and God gives them water. We're told that water comes gushing out from this rock. A fresh mountain spring bursting from the side of the rock. At the Reed Sea, God parted the waters. At Marah, God made bitter water sweet. At Elam, they get 12 springs and 70 palm trees. Every morning, they gather for breakfast bread from heaven, and every evening, they have endless quail to eat. And now at Horeb, God gives them water to drink from a rock. You and I, though, aren't sitting up all night, right, thirsting for lack of water. So what does that have to do with us? And I don't know about you, I don't think any of us are in current danger of starving to death. And we aren't walking across the desert barefoot. But we do know what it's like to be afraid and to be uncomfortable. And we know what it's like to wonder, is the Lord still with us? Sometimes we ask ourselves, why did God bring me here? And I don't mean into this sanctuary necessarily, but here to whatever's going on in our life, right? Why did God bring me to this place? It's not a good place. 
Why did I get stuck in this job? Why can't I get ahead of these bills? Why am I sick? Why is God keeping me around when I can't do the things I used to be able to do? Why do I have to leave here and move away from all my friends? You know, we're not dreaming about stew pots in Egypt, but in our own ways, we get caught up hungering and thirsting, I think, for the good old days, for some time or some place that was at least more familiar and that we remember as somehow being a lot more comfortable. And it's easy to forget the prayers that God answered for us last week or last month or last year. We get caught up in our present frustrations, and we forget that God is still here. That is what prayer journals are for, by the way. If you're into journaling, journal all your frustrations and then look back on them later and answer how God answered them. Because otherwise we forget. We forget all the little miracles along the way that happen every single day. When we need a roof, when we needed a roof in the church, God provided a roof. When our air conditioning and heating needed replacing, God provided a way. When we decided to build a home for an 86-year-old woman down on the Gulf Coast whose name was Mary Parker, God provided everything we needed and we built a house. In 2006, when I got here, the membership trend reports that showed, you know, membership over the prior 10 years, that our membership was declining at such a steady pace that by the year 2015, there wouldn't be anybody here. Every time we look at the membership trend reports, they always show that we're going to run out of people, and yet we're here. God provides. When we set out to feed strangers a weekly breakfast, God provided. The food, the money, the volunteers. When we need Sunday school teachers, God provides. When we're sick and we need the help of friends, God provides. When we grumble and complain and God stands before us with rivers of grace, now, I experienced this just recently at Yellowstone. You knew there was going to be a story. Okay, here's my, my confession. So I had uh, one place that I'd heard about that I just had to go to at Yellowstone. It's called the Lamar Valley, and it's supposed to have the most animals, right? So I wanted to go to the Lamar Valley. And the first day we're in Yellowstone, we set out driving this counterclockwise northern loop of the park which is like a five-hour drive if you don't even get out of the car. And we totally missed the turnoff for the Lamar Valley. So I was really ticked. And the next day, uh, Ed agreed that we could find our way back to this valley and that we would leave. Actually, we were going to go to the Hayden Valley, which was a lot closer. And, but we were going to get there early in the morning when the animals are moving around. And I was going to set up my camera, and I brought a tripod, and I wanted to get it out of the car at least once. So we're going to head to the Hayden Valley, but we turned the wrong direction, and we drove forever north again. And then we had to come back south. And by then, I'm just steamed, right? And I'm grumbling, and I'm not a nice travel partner. And I'm in the driver's seat, and I'm driving a little too fast, and it's kind of a wonder I didn't send us off of a cliff. 
And then I dropped, I turned, I was looking for the, uh, the animals, and I wound up dropping my wheels off into the gravel on the side of the road. And they had resurfaced, and so there's like this much pavement sticking up as I'm coming back into the lane, and it slices the tire. So God is good. This happened on the one flat place we were on that day. And I was able to pull over, and you're standing there on your vacation thinking, great, I'm in the middle of Yellowstone, which is vast, and, you know, you can't get a cell phone signal. There's no cell phone signal. There's no... But the next car to pull up behind us is the Park Service Rangers. And within two hours, we have been towed, and we have a new tar a car tire mounted, and we are on our way again. Why? Because... God provides. Have you ever gotten an offer on a home or had your offer unexpectedly accepted because God provides? Or the job that came just as hope was running out or the financial gift that arrived at just the right moment? You know, each and every one of us have skills and talents and knowledge and abilities and God has sent us sent you here to use them because God provides there is no difficulty in this life that we cannot endure and there is no trial that we will not one day look back on with the eyes attuned to God's presence and faithfulness and say praise God God provides do you think God has brought you this far just to let you perish in the wilderness no no, God has brought you this far in order to supply you with joy and life. When we see no way, when fear, uh, when we fear that we will not make it out of life, when we find ourselves in the middle of nowhere with no resources in sight, God unleashes the power of grace with such force that the rock that we thought was blocking our way becomes the very fountain of life.